Okay, let's talk about Megillat Esther. You'll find it on page 286. Let's begin with uh, two points about Haman, two strange, remarkable, peculiar occurrences in the life of Haman, which I hope, through answering those questions, we'll get a bigger picture of Megillat Esther from one vantage point, which I think is a, a trenchant theme that has a lot to teach us. So at the bottom of page 286, in Perek Pasuk Tet Zayin, context, Vashti was um, not abiding to the command of Ahashverosh that she come in front of him at the party, a point which we'll return to in a moment or two. Ahashverosh, angered, concerned, uh, confused about that, turns to his advisors looking for Kedat Malasot, what's the law in this situation. One of them speaks up, he's got a lot of advisors. Vayomer, at the very bottom of the page, Memuchan, What's the perspective of Memuchan? Understand, dear king, that Vashti didn't only have an act of defiance to you, this will spread throughout the kingdom. This will affect all women, all wives. When everyone hears about the defiance, the refusal of the queen Vashti, you know what's going to happen? They will look uh, down. They will uh, be uh, shameful to their husbands as a result of this. Um, how so? They'll say, uh, they'll say to one another, it'll be the talk of the town, the gossip. Did you hear? The queen didn't listen to the king. As a result, says Memuchan, almost explicitly, that's very dangerous for us. Our wives might not listen to us now. This will be, what's the translation? Much contempt and wrath. This will derail our whole kingdom. It'll put aside anything we've hoped to have achieved. That's the word of Memuchan. What's the decision as a result of that? What does Memuchan therefore suggest? You should understand. Here's what should be determined. You should send out and make certain and well known the law Vashti will no longer come in front of the king of Hashverosh. What happens to her? In the rabbi's eyes, she gets killed. And Megillat Esther, it doesn't matter. She's gone. She's off the scene. That's Memuchan. Uh, what's the significance of mentioning his name? Uh, do we care about his name? Generally speaking, in Megillat Esther, it's not a good question because there are a lot of names that are all uns- insignificant. I think we talked about that in past years. Um, but that, that's who he is. In addition to many other names, that's his word. Uh, in the eyes of the Hachamim, it's a well-known statement in Masechi Megillan, Dafyud Bet, who was Memuchan? None other than Haman. Why they say that? Not fully clear. They do suggest a play with his name. Memuchan is Milashon Muchan. He was prepared. Prepared for what? Prepared for Pur'anut, for bad things to happen to him. It's almost as if this was the nickname that they gave him in writing it, he was prepared for death. Um, is there anything else that led them on to believe this was Haman, aside from the fact that the name suggests that a little bit, maybe? The best, and I think very good interpretation you could give to it, is by realizing that this is the first of two decrees, two significant decrees in Megillat Esther. What's the second one? 
to kill the Jews, which comes about by Haman. But not only does it come about by Haman, listen to the decision-making in that moment. Why does Haman determine all the Jews should die? Why does he determine that they should all die? On the bottom of page 288, um, after Mordechai won't bow down to Haman, Vayomeru, Pasuk Gimal, and Perek Gimal, Avdeh HaMelech HaShem B'Sha'ar HaMelech L'Mordechai, Madu'a Ta'overet Mitzvat HaMelech, Why have you gone against the command of the king? They told this to Haman enough, He, Vayar Haman Pasuke, Ki En Mordechai Korea Mishtachavelo, Vayimaleh Haman Chema, He's filled with wrath, with anger, Vayibez Be'enav Lishloach Yad Be'Mordechai Levado, it's not right in his eyes to just kill one person who defied him. Rather, he knows the nation. What's the decision? One is not significant. One will not make the point. The same way there was a fear in understanding that one person, a Vashti, will influence many others. It's almost as if he sees over here, perhaps that's the link for the rabbis, Haman sees one person is representative of something much greater. Haman zom memuchan. I'd like to come back to that and develop that a little bit more. One last note on Haman, if he is memuchan, it'll make a little sense in Megillat Esther, a surprising elevation in the status of Haman. At the beginning of Perik Gimal, Haman gets this high position. For what reason? We're never told. Why does Haman take a top position? It should have been Mordechai. Mordechai saved the life of the king. If Memuchan is Haman, well, the king's feeling good. He finally got married. It was a great plan. I got rid of that defiant woman. I got a good wife. Haman, Memuchan, you deserve a higher position. I might give a little logic to this Haman being Memuchan, but again, I wonder if that insight of the rabbis in linking Mimuchan, who gives the advice to the king to kill Vashti or to do away with Vashti because of what she represents, linking it to Haman in general, might even give us a broader perspective in Megillat So that's the first point I'd like to just bring forth and return to. The second point is to notice something, in my opinion, very strange that Haman does. Or specifically, not that he does. That sounds very wrong once you hear when I say it. It is. Specifically, the mention in Megillat Esther. You see, the decisions that Haman made in that moment, we understand as his own independent decision. Does that mean he didn't speak to anyone else? Does it mean he didn't turn to an advisor? Not per se. People, the President of the United States makes decisions. He gets up and declares them or describes them to the people we realize that he consulted, we hope, he consulted with others before that decision. Um, we imagine that that sort of decision of Haman as well, we have some explicit consultations, others not. There's a funny one, though. It's at the end of Perek Dalid. no, it is at the end of Perekeh, on page 291. Um, Haman turns to his household, but more specifically to... His wife, Zeresh. Again, a name that's insignificant. Do we care about that name? She's mentioned twice in Megillat Esther. The first time here where Haman consults with her. What's he consulting with her about? What do I do with that Mordechai? I know I decreed that I'm going to kill him, but I can't. Every time I see him, he doesn't bow down to me. Something's wrong with him. Uh, there's a lot of depth to, to what's bothering him for another time. Maybe a 
maybe today, but not right this second. He turns to Zeresh v'chol ohavav. He turns to Zeresh and all of his members in his home. Vatomer lo Zeresh ishto, at the very end on page 291 of Perekeh, ishto v'chol ohavav, she and all his beloved ones say, make a tree, prepare gallows, hang Mordechai. Uh, do we need to know that this was a conversation with a woman who's insignificant, Zeresh? Is there something Megillat Esther wants us to pay attention to and to realize? Zeresh comes up again. This time she has a proactive plan. The next time she raises her hands in desperation. After Haman marches through the streets with Mordechai, he comes back home. And again, he's speaking to Zeresh and his family members. And she says then, we're familiar with this, if Mizera Yehudim Mordechai, you have no chance. Jews are always going to win. All right, so she's got some insight, but... Is there significance to Zeresh's mention, to the fact that Haman turns to her for advice in Megillah Tessah? It's the second point I'd like to address and talk about. So again, just first and foremost, the general picture of the rabbis, I think, is more significant than what we made it out to be, that Haman might be the same as Memuchan. And secondly, that Haman, strangely, and the Megillah takes a few pisukim, a few sentences to describe his consultation with his wife. All right, that's the backdrop. Yes, sir. Indeed, which will be my punchline, so hold it a little bit. (laughs) I was deliberating whether to ask the questions at the beginning like that, in case you came. Um, Yes, there is an irony, it's a punchline, we can even mention it now, but then we'll develop it further. Uh, uh, Serene said that there's an irony if he fears that women will not listen to their husbands at the beginning, and then at this critical moment, he's not only... Nervous, she's his advisor. Imagine what changed. So instead of it being the punchline, it'll be an introduction to what? No, no, it's great. It's great. We're going to restructure. We're not going to call it a punchline any longer. We're going to. Interesting. He actually will speak with her. Interesting. Interesting. I guess that's as married women. You can all understand that. But um, uh, point take. All right. I'm. Let's accept it as irony for the moment and try to figure out how we get there. Even if, even if it's not self-confidence, the fact that Migilat is there then designates that in the text and tells us that as part of the story still will be telling. Okay, so that's, that's the backdrop. And now the direction. The direction of the class, I promise you, it's not only because it's a women uh, class, it's about women, but it's not about women. What do I mean by that? Megillah Tester has a major development and and description of women in this Malchuta Hashverosh in Shushan, but the picture and the description, there's nothing greater and grander than women, but it's grander and greater than women. What do I mean by that? It's a message that's not just about women, it's a message about, well, we'll fill in that word. So let's, uh, let's try to develop that. On page 286, back to Perek Aleph. Let's again try to figure out what's happening in this place called Shushan. So there's a party. It's a really long party, 180 days and then seven days. And at this party, Ahashverosh summons his wife Vashti. Vashti denies, refuses his command. And well-known statement of the rabbis, and we're going to give suggestions to it right now, Vashti won't appear in front of the king. Why not? One opinion. In the Gemara, because she has a tail. Could be, I'm sure. I'm sure we could Google it and look into this. There are probably people that have tails. Possible that the rabbis meant it literally. Alternatively, what might they mean? What has tails? 
animals have tails. It might mean that the description of her not standing in front of the king was, I'm not going to be paraded as property. I won't be your dog. In truth, the wording in Megillat Esther kind of lets us on to that. The party was, the Pesukim said at the beginning, Behar oto et malchuto gedulato Behar oto, as he's showing off his wealth. Why does he summon Vashti? He wants to show the Amim and the Sarim her beauty. It's about showing her just like his gold, silver, and, and fine, uh, fine cloths and, and, and dyes. Now, uh, that might be that direction in the rabbis. Uh, there's another well-known statement of the rabbis that the Pasuk says that he wants her wearing the, the crown. The rabbi says she's wearing a crown, but nothing else. That's an interesting description as well, a little imaginative. Might be literal. Even whether it's literal or not, I think it has the same message, and especially in Migilat Esther. A person without clothing is very vulnerable. A person without clothing to a certain extent. My grandfather told me more than once, not in this context, but it was clear that the first thing that happened when they entered into Auschwitz was they stripped down. Very vulnerable immediately. Immediately, You don't know what's coming and you're not wearing clothing. And in Migilat Esther, clothing throughout Truthfully, in life, clothing is oftentimes our strength. We take control of the situation. I stand in front of someone who I'm vying for a job opportunity, I dress the part. If I don't dress the part, I show something else. My clothing is my control of the circumstance and situation. When Esther has that fateful moment, when she comes in front of Ahashverosh, Pasuk says, Vatilbash Esther Malchut. She wears royal clothing. We'd imagine she, generally speaking, does goes out of its way to tell us she does then. Mordechai, when he feels the loss of control, he rips his clothing and so forth. So the description of her coming naked is she's worthless. She's got no power. She's vulnerable. She's controlled by a hashverosh. Ironically, those two interpretations then mean the same thing. What was it that Vashti is denying and refusing? She can't be made into property. She can't be controlled by Akashverosh. Megillat Esther then begins with a story of control over women who are property, quite literally. To the extent that Memuchan's words are perfect at the end of Perek Aleph, do you understand the danger? Women are going to have a voice. Uh, that's that's going to threaten the very fabric of our strength as a nation. Can't be. That's how Megillat Esther begins. It means women truthfully and fully are zero. And then Esther emerges on the scene. And Esther emerges on the scene, and does she change that? Anything but it. She plays it perfectly. I'm going to scare a little bit, and it's a little untraditional, my take on this. But it's what I believe. What can I tell you? Esther doesn't say her nationality. Twice we're told because of Mordechai. Now I know the traditional approach to that is she fears anti-Semitism. She fears maybe a connection politically to Mordechai. One or two of those or other interpretations. I've always believed the reason she doesn't speak it is because my chair doesn't have a nationality, neither does my table or my car, they don't have nationalities. And if a Hashverosh, the beacon and strength of this kingdom is, well, do you know what happened with the last wife? She spoke about who she was. She denied me, she refused me. The perfect entrance into the kingdom of a Hashverosh is 
by being identityless. I am what you want me to be. I am Mrs. Ahashverosh. My name wasn't even, we're told, Esther, it's Hadassah. I'm a secret, and I'm your secret, whatever you want me to be. Um, the Pesukim furthermore have this, we'll read a little bit, won't get too detailed, although we'll read what Megillat Esther tells us was happening with the women and what Esther determines to do. On page 288, um, Pasuk Yod Bet, so we're in Perek Bet, Pasuk Yod Bet, um, it describes what was happening as the women were being rounded up. I use that word literally. They were rounded up. As a matter of fact, before we read Pasuk Yod Bet, what do the Pesukim describe? How were they rounding up those women? The beginning of Perek Bet, Pasuk Gimel. I'm sorry, back and forth a little bit. Perek Bet, Pasuk Gimel. Pasuk says, here's the direction. Hashverosh is a little bit lonely, no wife, doesn't know what to do. V'yafked ha-melech pekidim What's to be done? Means appoint people. And they should gather. Those two verbs are used in our Torah in a certain circumstance. It's the advice of Yosef to Paro. There's no food in seven years from now. Yafked ha-melech pekidim al kol eretz misraim, v'yikbetsu bar, and you should collect grain. So women might not be dogs now with tails, but they are grain. That's uh, uh, there's no doubt in my mind. That's an illusion for us to pick up on that. There, if you don't believe it, listen to what's happening to the women. Now to page two eighty eight, pasuk yod bet uvhagia. So as the law of the women was concluded, each woman got her turn. What happened? The law for the women was they got 12 months. They were rounded up, gathered like grain, and they got 12 months. They must have been given a good education during that time period and explained to them the depths of their lives. What did they do? What was taking place during these 12 months? Six months they were embalming themselves with oils and six months with perfumes and spices. A year out of these women's lives was preparation for a one-night stand with Melech HaHashverosh. That's the description. An exaggeration? Maybe. I, you know, an exaggeration is purposeful. We don't exaggerate if we don't mean something crazy is going on. Uh, that was it. For what? Again, She therefore would come to the king. We'll return to that word in a second, that, that description in a second. She would go in at night and be with the king. And the next day, free... Back to regular life. No. She was taken into Shomer HaPilagshim, into the home for the uh, women that the king uh, held, concubines. The rest of her life was as the king's concubine. Was he with her? Did he spend time with her? He would. If the king said her name, she was summoned again to the king. My guess. I could be wrong. I don't think the king even asked them their name. So I think this was the end of their life. 
as we knew it, right? They were brought in for a one night with the king, then sent off and not going back home in the concubine home of the king unless he summoned them by name. Uh, women are, are not faring very well in Megillat Esther. Is this like normal behavior for a king in that time at all? Like, this would be I have no idea. I know that in Tanakh we have no such re- references. Can I tell you that I know there were concubine homes and that we do have in Tanakh that they worked like this? I don't think so. I mean, this sounds a lot like Cinderella-esque, right? What's that? Multiple wives and concubines. I, I'm aware of that, but again, twelve months preparation sent there unless he wants, unless he mentions your name. It's not the way we know it by the kings of Israel. She wanted out. I, Raquel, I didn't blame her anyway. I'm just like, she's she's the unsung hero of Megillat Esther. Ironically, she she saw it. Before anyone else. She was, according to the Hachamim, which I accept, but Megillat said doesn't tell us that, so I can't inject it. Interesting. Interesting. The reverse. Interesting. He ends, acts interesting. Um, Esther acts differently than these women. She, sure, goes through the actions, but here's the thing. As each woman was summoned, and it was their turn to come forward, the Pasuk says they could ask for whatever they wanted. Which means to say, for the experience with the king, anything that they wanted to adorn themselves with, any perfume, and so on and so forth, that's what they could request. What about Esther? Uh, she didn't ask for anything. Uh, why didn't she ask for anything? So we're never told. And again, untraditional, and I'm sorry for the moment, but untraditional. We're told she didn't ask for, at least I was as a kid, and it might be right. I might be way off on this. Told she didn't want to be there. So she didn't request because it was against her will. It's possible. Um, it's possible she was so beautiful and was able to bank on that. It's possible as well. Possible that Esther is smarter than anyone else. She sees the reality. You adorn yourself. You're saying to the king, I'm deserving of adorning. I am something. If you don't adorn yourself, if you act, so to speak, the way Vashti was supposed to, that's exactly what the king is looking for. If Esther is in on the plan, as we're reading it, to get in, this is the best decision she could have made by not requesting anything. Uh, It's a suggestion. So Esther's non-identity might be because she plays the role perfectly of a woman in Shushan. Her non-request might be the same point as well. What does the, uh, what, what does the, the Pesukim describe as Esther comes? Well, let's take a look on Pasuk Tetvav. Uv tor Esther bat avihayu. We could pause right there. That's who she was. Self-identity. Beautiful. Dod Mordechai. Related to Mordechai. Ashelaka hlol who took her like a daughter. Shema Israel. This is her moment to shine. Who is she? This is not even in Shushan. They don't know who she is. We're being told by Megillat Esther who she is. Who is she? She says, there. Okay, I'll tell you her father's name as well. But no, no, no. We pay more attention in the very pasuk that's finally going to focus on who she is to Mordechai and his actions than to her. And we knew this already. But this is her identity. 
She doesn't have a self-identity apart from the man in her life. The introduction to Esther was no different. We found out Esther Hadassah, we don't really know her name, in contrast to who was Mordechai, Ish Yehudi Ayah B'Shushan HaBirah Shmo Mordechai, Ben Yair, Ben Shimi, Ben Kish, Ish Yemini, Shehoglam, Yerushalayim, Imagola, Shehoglatayim, Yechonyam, Elchon, so and so forth. Oh, we know everything about Mordechai. I can tell you his history, I can tell his grandfather, his great-grandfather, I can tell you where he came from. Esther, I'm not sure. Because that, I believe, identity of Esther and identity of women, there is none. It's, it's, it's literally zero through and through. If you thought, you know, you hit rock bottom with them being compared to grain with the dog-like uh, appreciation of Vashti, uh, Esther, quote-unquote, is even less. She's nothing. She's really nothing. She's an extension of Mordechai. Pasuk Tetzayin says, Vatilakah Esther. Vatilakah sounds like she was taken. So it could be interpreted against her will. It could alternatively be interpreted as she was taken. She didn't go. Women didn't go independently. They were taken. Okay, that is uh, what, what happened uh, thus far in Megillat Esther. Not much in terms of any growth with regards to women, with regards to Esther. That's the, uh, the general story um, and, and uh, direction that we have. We don't have so many uh, return to mention of women, aside from the fact that children and women were going to be killed, until the decree. The decree as a result of Mordechai not bowing down to Haman. And then, as Mordechai finally sends word to Esther, there seems to be some change, some shift. So if you'll follow with me on page 290. Let's go to page 290. When Esther and Mordechai are speaking through an in- intermediary. Who's the intermediary? His name is unnecessary Hatach. As if it mattered. Uh, don't forget, we know the name of the concubine home, uh, Hege, and we know the name of the women home, Shashkaz. A lot of names, all unnecessary. We know uh, Bigtan and Tere, all unnecessary names. Megillat Esther is a chock full of unnecessary names. Anyway, um, what happens at this point is Esther is turned to by Mordechai again through Hatach, and it's a very significant moment because he says to her, this is your moment. You can't run away from this moment. You should know if you try to, destiny will take hold and you'll fall out of it. And you and your father's household, tovedu. Now, pasuk tetvav. Again, I, I want to just pause one more time and stress one last thing. Esther's actions until now have either been absolutely passive or obedience to Mordechai. She doesn't say her identity sounds passive, but because Mordechai, Mordechai told her. Everything she's done, as we're interpreting it is, I'm listening, I'm obeying. The king threw a party for Esther. It was Mishte Esther, but the king threw the party. Esther is, well, I don't know who she is. Esther says, she doesn't say anything as far as we know. Esther comes from, oh, we know where she comes from. That's what we care about. Now, as Mordechai turns to Esther and says, you need to do something, pasuk tetvav. Vatomer Esther lehashivel Mordechai. Esther determines to send back word to Mordechai. What's her words? I'll tell you my prediction. Whatever you say, honey. Not honey, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know, uncle, dad, cousin, whatever. Well, it's not her husband. Maybe it is. Okay. Lech, Lech, she says, That's a command. Go. You know, I'm, I'm imagining Mordechai in the moment. 
This is, you know, maybe I'm lost in translation. Hatach, I speak Yiddish, you speak Arabic. I don't, what, could you repeat that again? Lech, she said, Lech kinoset kol Did she tell me what to do? In this moment, Mordechai told Esther, take control. And she does. She sends back to Mordechai, here's what you need to do. Go gather the Jews. Which, by the way, is also countercultural. What do they do in Shushan when they seize control? They eat, they drink, and they party. What's her way of seizing control? Don't eat, don't drink, don't party. She's breaking the mold entirely. Anyway, and I'll do that as well. Pasuk Yodzayin. Vayavor Mordechai, Vayas kechol asher siveta alav esther. Unnecessary pasuk. If you are, if there's no English teacher, oh, English teachers, no English teachers today. If the English English teacher, that's right. If the English more than English teacher, English writer. I mean, the, this is unnecessary or literature, anything. This is unnecessary. Mordechai goes and does it. Vayas came. That's not what it says. It says Vayavor Mordechai, Vayas, and he does. He listens to her word. There's a reversal. There's a change. It's there now, and this for me has always been, you know, when the uh, inspirational music and the scary music comes on, right now. Pasuk, Pereke, Pasuk, Aleph. Everybody misses this. What? It's fully necessary. It could have been, I said, the simple interpretation. If we don't read everything the way we read it, it could just say, and Mordechai did so. Instead, it's a whole pasuk, a whole sentence saying, he does as she commanded him to do. Now, scary moment, because she's going against the rules. More specifically for our purposes, she's acting independently as a woman. She's playing in some sense, Vashti, she's not defying the king, but she is standing in front of the king in a way that he didn't summon her. And again, for me, and I mean it as even now, my heart is beating as I read this pasuk. Everyone's heart beats when they read Haman's decree. Everybody, got, this is the scary moment. This is the moment where it's make or break. Because if she's knocked down now, it's all over, and, and she's risking Everything. We talked about those. Here's my insight on this pasuk. This pasuk describes their posture. She's standing. Now the significant part is that she walked into the inner chamber. She's not supposed to be there without being summoned there unless he mentioned that he wants her there. But the pasuk goes further. It says she's standing and he's sitting. Here's my suggestion. My second or first year of teaching, my father walked by my classroom. He would never walk inside. He felt it was inappropriate. He didn't want the kids to snicker. He spoke to me later on. He said, I noticed something. I said, you, you never even walked inside. You didn't even hear me say anything. He said, I noticed you were sitting down when you talked. I said, yeah. He said, that's okay if you want to do that. You'll, you'll demand more attention if you stand. He said, but you'll feel more comfortable when you sit. When we sit, we avoid vulnerabilities. When you stand, you're more exposed. Now, if you can demand that attention, if you command the respect and the, you have a presence, standing can be your best tool. But in this moment, as Esther stands and Ahasuerus sits, in my mind, that really builds the fact that she, let's add, is the woman here. She is 
out of control. He's in control, but she's now stepping in to this moment. He sees her and he's ready. What is it that you want, Esther? And of course, her response is, I'd like for you, and here, imagine it, and this is the way I imagine it, even though it doesn't say it. I imagine Ahashverosh, the constant drinker, has wine in his mouth. That's just the way I see it. He has wine in his mouth, and she makes a request. Now, again, he said, I... In between sips, he says to her, anything you'd like, I'll do at Hatziah Malchut and so forth. And she says, no problem, I have it for you. And he's enjoying his wine. It just makes it better. And she says to him, here's what I'd like. And he's, you know, listen. Vatomer Esther, Pasuk Dalit. Imala melech tov, yavo ha-melech vehaman hayom, el ha-mishteh asher asiti lo. I think the wine gets spit all over the place on that request. You kidding me? Your throwing a party for me this is unprecedented i don't go to other people's parties i make you parties you don't make me parties that's a moment of she's not just in control she's entirely in control i, don't know, I, I look at it a little bit differently because i think she's a genius brilliant i think that she's doing exactly what she's doing as the wife of a man that needs to be the boss she for sure all this time and now she's going to him speaking his language for sure for sure. For sure. I think he says awesome, but he's and pleasantly surprised. I cannot imagine he expected this. I cannot imagine had she had Vashti said this to him, it would sit well. That's right. Esther was brilliant. Esther played into the system and then stepped right out of it. True. Uh, well, we don't know. I, I'd like to believe you're right, uh, but we don't know what happened the first several years of their marriage. Uh, I don't. I, we do know. I think the fact that she's still there, she hasn't been defying. But here, in the moment where, again, ironically, Mordechai suggested that she do so, she has moved in. Now, before we continue, yes, Erica. Oh, I'm sorry. You said the first two years. So they married for a few years. At yeah. This point? Mm-hmm. So she was sent to that, to the woman's home, and, and... No, he chose her right away. He chose her, and, and she's just been... He throws a party the next day. So she's the queen. Oh. He, she didn't have to go through it. That was for women who were not chosen. So she was chosen. And she's she chosen was right away. She's thrown into, into okay. pushed up. What's that? Not from Megillat there. Years? She's there a few years? She's stuck there for years? I, I don't know why they think that. Because it's insignificant to why, us. Why do you think that? We know the years. If you follow the years of Megillat Esther, but it's a, a, but it's insignificant in the scheme of things. Why? Because of their relationship. Okay. If anything, it shows you. It only strengthens her courage and her strength in this moment. But here's the point, and I mean it. It is about women, but the message is greater than women. This is a kingdom which has certain rules. Rules that are, uh, in many ways, just backward. Uh, rules which are unfair, rules which don't make sense. A lot of them. A lot of these rules are. Uh, we'll see. Uh, you'll see at the end in Perakhet of Megillat Esther. In order to rescind, to get rid of the rule, the law of killing all the Jews, we need to make another rule, another law that the Jews are allowed to defend themselves. Don't just rip it up. Make another rule, and then you can't help but laugh, as the pasuk says. The king says, "Make sure you write that because you should know. If it's signed with my name and stamped with my name, you can't." go against it. It's a rule 
which is going against a rule which was signed and stamped with his name. But okay, the point of Megillat is that there's a lot of this going on. And in and, and really, I believe this is one of the trenchant messages of Megillat there. It's more, it's greater and grander than just women's strength and women's power and women's opinions, which is all significant. It's about when there's a system and norms and realities which are accepted by all, and you realize that this is wrong, and this doesn't make sense, and this shouldn't be this way, well, what is it that you do in that moment? And the question furthermore is, once you do it, what can you expect to be the repercussions? What can you expect will happen as a result if you do it with conviction, courage, and knowledge that you're doing the right thing? Because Esther in these moments has shifted the paradigm entirely, I'm convinced, in convincing the Hashverosh to come to the party. She takes a deep breath, I think just as much, much more than me. Her heart is beating wildly and rapidly as she's speaking to him, she invites him to the party, and that, ironically, is the turning point. That's it. His consent to her being in there and her asking, that's all it took. It was as simple as that. Yes? Also, I wanted to come to the party, and she says, now, now, a woman's asking him to come to the party. Crazy. It was all, Serene, let's go. It was all about, come to my party, no. And she says to him, now come to my party. And yes, the problem was she denied him, well said. She denied Vashti Hashverosh. And now in this moment, it's the opposite. It's even worse. And he says, yes, that's it. It's over from here. Migilat Esther, in my mind, I said I was really nervous. It's over. I, I can map the rest out without knowing anything more. Because day one, party one, what's her request? Can you come back to the next party? Many interpretations. Most simple, I'm going to seize more control. You're coming to another party with me. And Haman is invited to both. And here we come to that point. Haman, being at both of these parties, walks away from the second party and sees Mordechai, who doesn't bow down to him. And Haman goes home and speaks to, and the Pesukim tell us, Zeresh, his wife. Why is he speaking to Zeresh's wife? When's the last time someone who wasn't senile, who wasn't out of his mind, spoke to his chair or to his table or to his lamppost? Why is he speaking to his wife? Absolutely. He sees a change. Esther did one act, two invitations to a party, and Haman is changed. He's turning to his wife and asking for her advice. And if Haman is Memuchan, it's the very same person who said at the beginning that women can't have their own opinions and shouldn't have any perspective, who's now listening to his wife. Her actions, a lot of strength, tons of courage, has now reversed the trajectory of Shushan. It's Haman is now turning to his wife for suggestions and directions on what to do. But wait, there's just a little bit more over here. As things um, settle down, as uh, um, Mordechai and Esther rise uh, to strength, so the Pesukim describe the following. In Perek Het, in Pasuk Aleph, it says, Bayomahu, on that day. Again, everything is done. Esther now is, has an identity. She told the king who Mordechai is, but she's in control. And 
Esther was given the estate, the strength, the governmental power, whatever the bait of Haman means, it was given to Esther. Esther is in possession of not just her husband, not just the direction. She has governmental control. And what does she do with it? She hands it to Mordechai. She gives it the pasuk says, She now has placed Mordechai in charge of her governmental strength, Betaman. It's Esther from beginning until end, making decisions that are changing everything in terms of how people envision and see things. It is then that this women's story of Megillat Esther, not only a story about women, it's a story again about norms. It's the exact same story that's being told throughout about Jews and their strength in Shushan. It's the same story about all these laws and rules which Esther goes up against. Again, it's a story which speaks, I believe, to each of us in a very significant way. It's a story which says societal norms, community realities that we've accepted as truth, even familial stories that we've decided are who we are and we can't break out of them. Esther says all it takes is, ironically, throwing a party. Throw a party and it's all, it's all over. Not only is it all over in your relationship with the person who you invited, it's over for anyone who heard about it as well. It's, I wonder now, this last point, if Megillat Esther, you see, Megillat Esther, the way the text tells us, the way Megillat tells us, is taking place, doesn't tell us exactly, but we know that Mordechai came from the Galut after the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash. So we have to imagine, I'm not talking historically, I'm talking just, Simply reading, it takes place some time afterwards, either before we went back to Israel to rebuild the Beit HaMikdash, maybe a little bit after. Regardless, it's at a time like that. We know something about that time period. Here's what we know about that time period. That's the time period during which Ezra and Nehemiah are the leaders of Am Yisrael. They are the ones who are teaching, instructing, and setting forth rules and guidelines for everyone. There's lots of issues as we bring back people to Israel. Pretty much halakha as we know it begins then. And Sheikh Hagedola is taking form. Berachot and Tepilot and all sorts of enactments. That's all taking place then. I wonder if Megillat Esther is the couple to Sefer Ezra and Nehemiah. In other words, there's a lot of rules. Significant and real rules. But then there's understanding what those rules mean. Then there's appreciating them. Esther is seeing rules and understanding and feeling something's not fitting with regards to these. Uh, these rules are leading me to an oppressive lifestyle against what's truth. It's almost as if we're being hinted in this halakha needs to be followed. But find what the depth of that halakha is. If halakha is manipulated, if Ezra and Nehemiah's way is misunderstood, we're going to be driving people away from truth. So it's true, it's written having nothing to do with Jewish law. When we mention God's name in Megillat Esther, we certainly don't, uh, don't talk about any halakha. She says, gather all the Jews and fast for me. No Tehillim party, no Berachah party, none of that, right? There's none of that. It's fast for me. That's the extent, which is breaking the rules of the kingdom. 
it's not a story about breaking rules of halacha. It is about appreciating what rules could and should be. It's about giving perspective in that respect. Migilat Esther, in short then, ironically, the story which begins by denigrating, saying that women are nothing, is the story of the climb of one who realizes within this system that the way, Raquel, brilliantly, Esther moves in, understands how to not fight against it per se, but to work within it and teach otherwise through action, through understanding in the moment, how and what to say. It's the story of the party for Ahasuerus of invitation to Vashti, who does it wrong, by the way. Vashti does it wrong. She's the unsung hero, but she does it wrong. She defies law. She goes against Ahasuerus. Esther plays within it but at the same time realizes, even while playing within it, I can nonetheless bring out truth in a way that you maybe didn't appreciate beforehand. Yeah. But I don't... I think of her as this like, pristine character because she had ulterior motives, but couldn't you do wrong things to ultimately get to the right goal? I mean, I don't know. I, I really believe that Megillah Tester tells us nothing wrong that she did on purpose. You're right, our imagination can take us in those directions, but I, I, don't, I, I don't think there's any reason we need to inject that. I think if you're a very smart person, you can follow halakha and appreciate the meaning that underlies it. So I think she plays within the system of law. I'm sorry, it's very different than halakha. It's a silly system of law, but she plays within it, but finds meaning and teaches meaning. Instead of it being manipulated wrongfully, she appreciates it. I don't see anything. I, I know the only untraditional things that I mentioned are how she's not fighting against and away from it and being taken against her will. But I don't know if that per se that should be bothering us and that means that she's not a good person. I think she's very much a good person. I think she's. You think that she wasn't really taken? I think she wasn't necessarily taken against her will. I'll, I'll put it differently. If you want to put it differently in the halakha perspective, the Gemara says that we would have imagined she has to give up her life instead of sleeping with a hashverosh. So even if it's against her will, quote unquote, the rabbis are still bothered. She still should have died. Because it's one of the three most severe. So the Gemara believes she's married to Mordechai. I'm, I'm just saying the Hachamim are struggling with that and looking for an interpretation. Oh, they have two different interpretations. That's what I said. She broke the law when she went to the king and waited for him to put the scepter That's the moment. But they say also that's when she broke the law. Now she couldn't go back to Mordechai. The Hachamim do say, Ka'asher avadati avadati. Right. In short, Megillat Esther is a story which inspire, should inspire us all to be courageous, to be able to stand up for what we know to be true, even while everyone around us is submitting to a different reality, believing it to be different. The story of Zeresh and Haman, ironically, is a turning point in Megillat Esther. It's the moment where we see the tide has shifted. The story of Haman being the same individual who gave the advice against the women, turning to his wife in the scheme of things at the end, is what describes to us what we can and will affect when we do stand up for truth. Absolutely. Again, Vashti was courageous, but did it wrong. So let me say it better. Being smart while being courageous. Don't fight the system head on. Be smart about it. Understand that there are ways to appreciate and respect and deal with people while at the same time standing up for truth in a way that will inspire others as opposed to when I just fight it. 